Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer. And welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can find more details about us on our website, workerbeing.com, on social media, or come and join and support our community at workerbeing.com slash community to learn more about what we're doing, all of our fun research, and get updates. So today we are going to be hosting Nick Bear, who is the founder of Saxby's Coffee. Nick founded Saxby's in 2005 with the goal of being unlike any other coffee shop. Over the years, Saxby's has found its identity as a pioneering education and opportunity company that's fueled by great coffee and hospitality. In addition to founding Saxby's, Nick holds a number of leadership positions in higher education and in his community, which is Philadelphia. He's currently the entrepreneur in residence at Cornell University, his alma mater, in the School of Hotel Administration. He's an adjunct professor at Drexel University, executive in residence at Temple University. He serves on the board of the Franklin Institute, Big Brothers Big Sisters, Community College of Philadelphia, Drexel University, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and the Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce. He was named Entrepreneur of the Year by the Greater Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce, Social Entrepreneur of the Year by EY, and one of the 100 Most Powerful Business Leaders in Philadelphia by the Philadelphia Business Journal. So obviously, he has a lot of accolades to share with us, and we're really lucky to hear his insights. We have three takeaways um, from our conversation. Again, super interesting conversation. So listen for these takeaways as you listen to the whole conversation. But we'll kind of give you a sneak peek. So takeaway number one, businesses can actually put good into the community and still succeed. Takeaway number two, connecting with and supporting people is a primary way for you to meet your business goals. And takeaway number three, experiential learning, which we'll talk more about, is a really great way to make an impact for your employees and your community. We hope you enjoyed the interview. It was so much fun having Nick on the show, and we hope you learned something. Okay, so Nick, we are so excited to have you here today. So pumped to learn more about you and Saxby's, an amazing company that we just can't wait for our listeners to learn more about. So to kick things off, could you tell us a little bit more about you and your background? I know people will be fascinated to learn more about your story and maybe some about why you decided to start Saxby's. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Katina and Patricia, for having me. Um, yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I, mean, I think like most of us in our professional careers are certainly in the entrepreneurial space. You know, my, my personal path and journey is, is very deeply interwoven to my, my path as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, my parents were, were young, they were teenagers when they had me and it, and it, um, halted their ability to get their education. And so as young parents, they went out and got whatever jobs they could get. And although there was nothing wrong with those jobs, they weren't the jobs that they wanted to do. It didn't play to their passions, didn't play to their strengths. And so, you know, for the 18 years I grew up in their house, everything about work was stressful and sort of uninspiring and unfulfilling. And so they really impressed upon me to work hard to get my education. My education would not just prepare me, but would allow me to, to follow my passions and do something that it was that I, I would love to do. And so I tried to listen to them and follow their instruction as much as possible. You know, eventually became uh, the first person in my family to graduate college. And you know, at that point I was, you know, I, I had taken a bunch of different internships in college in a bunch of different industries. You know, I went in with a major, but you know, many of us at 18, like think we know what we want to do, but there's very little that we actually do know. And so took all these different internships <laughs> and 
you know, as graduation was, was approaching, there were two things that really sort of like stuck out to me. The first was I had some coaches and some teachers in my life that if they weren't in my life and if they didn't care for me and go out of their way the way that they did for me, my life would be very different. I probably wouldn't be in a position where I was going to celebrate uh, my college graduation. But the second thing was, is I finally got exposed directly to business when I was in college. I took these internships in finance and real estate and logistics, and I, I really loved business. I, I'm an athlete, or maybe I was, I guess I was an athlete. I'm not much of an athlete anymore, but um, I was an athlete. And like <laughs> the best comes out of me when I'm forced to be competitive and bring my A game every day, but I'm happiest when I'm doing things for other people. And so those two realizations were, were like really firmly at play for me. And so you know, if you fast forward to today, um, Saxby's is, is really a social entrepreneurship venture. You know, we, we are a for-profit business and we're private equity backed, but we're also a certified B Corp and a Delaware public benefit company. So our articles on incorporation, like typical for-profit companies state that leaders and decision makers of a business make decisions to benefit solely shareholders in the business. You know, like that's typical capitalism. When you become a, a public benefit company and a certified B Corp like Saxby's, that word shareholder changes out to stakeholders. So my job, my leadership team's job, uh, the the, uh, the board members of Saxby's, our job is to make decisions that benefit our stakeholders, our suppliers, our, our team members, our uh, guests, our customers, our communities, not just our shareholders. And so you fast forward to today and I didn't know it as clearly at the time, but I wanted to be in a position where I was deeply entrenched in a fast growing, challenging business that by growing and having success was going to benefit more than just a few people who sat at the, the top of the org chart. And so that, that's, um, that's sort of how my personal journey led to the, the creation of Saxby's and how we've gotten to where we are today. I really love that. I actually didn't know that about the business structure of the B Corp and stuff. So this is fascinating from that perspective as well. But I really appreciate that perspective where it's like everything you touch, every person you touch is going to be impacted by your business, of course. And so focusing on making sure you're making everyone better, I think is huge. Uh, so I really appreciate that perspective. And it kind of ties into another question I had, like, you know, that our podcast is all about thriving at work and how organizations help employees thrive. Obviously, that's something that you're interested in based on what you just said. So how do you actually contribute to employee thriving? Yeah, you know, and that's for Saxby's, that is, um, I guess, so somewhat uniquely challenging in that you know, many businesses sort of have a, a central place of work. You know, it's like this, this is our office. And like, obviously, not not to state the uh, the obvious, but this is, you know, September of 2022, when we're speaking, yeah, there's the whole work from home and are we working virtually or in person? And that's very much in flux. Well, we've got a secondary complication to that at Saxby's, which is you know, 75 to 80% of our team members, which we call employees at Saxby's, work sort of remotely in their own individual cafes. And so they're working in different time zones, they're working in different cities and states and are inherently disconnected from those that work in our, our central headquarters, which is located here in Philadelphia. And so the answer is, is a bit nuanced, but I guess the first thing I would, I would state is that I don't, I don't care whether someone is 60 or 20 or anywhere in between or on either side of the, those age spectrums. I think human beings are innately motivated or demotivated by a central pur purpose of an organization. If an organization doesn't have a central purpose or if a have one and they actually don't live it, 
people are going to be very demotivated by it and feel very disconnected from their business, regardless of the work environment. On the flip side, if you have a business that has a why, it has a central purpose, it's defined, it's clear, and that the leaders to the newest people in the company walk the talk, meaning they live it every single day. I think that's a huge investment because work can be just that. It could just be work. It could just be something that you do to collect a paycheck, you know, to be able to put a roof over your head and to put food on the table. Or we can realize that we actually spend more time, quote unquote, working than we do pretty much doing anything else, sleeping, hanging out, hanging out with our families. Mm -hmm. And so I think the first thing that you do to invest in your employees is to have a central purpose. And guess what? Like our, our mission statement is actually just to make life better. You know, we're not in the coffee business. We're not in the smoothie business. We're in the make life better business. You know, we have to make life better every day for our, our team members, for our guests, our communities, our investors every single day. And if our mission and the six core values that go with it do not connect with someone, it doesn't make them wrong. It just makes them wrong for Saxby's and it makes Saxby's wrong for them. So I think the first thing you do with, with your team members is to have a central purpose live it every single day and understand that it's dynamic. You know, Saxby's, we've changed five of our six core values over the over the 12 years that we've had them because we're in a different world today. We have different team members and leaders that we have, you know, today than we had six or eight years ago. And it's a very uh, immersive process of ensuring that the mission core values are not just Nick Bayer's mission core values, but they're all 900 people in Saxby's. They are collectively our mission core values. I'm curious because as you're talking, I'm thinking about, I love everything you're saying. And I'm wondering why coffee shops as a way of unifying around that central principle. So I'm, I, there could be a lot of different vehicles for getting to that central goal you mentioned. We make, we make life better. Um, how did you end up, though, deciding on coffee shops as the vehicle for making life better? Yeah, so you know, go back in time a little bit. I was just talking before about sort of like my, my journey in college and trying to figure out what it was that I was going to do. It was, it was a few years after college when I decided to, to launch a business. Um, and the idea of that is like when I first came out of school, you know, I, had a, I had a really good job and I, I actually really enjoyed it and I was doing well with it. But I loved what I did after work more than what I did at work. And what, that was like playing basketball in this amazing league and playing these other sports leagues and being a big brother and big brothers, big sisters and donating my time and volunteering for different things. I couldn't wait to do those things. And I just remember thinking to myself that I'm like, I don't want to have a line between my personal life and my professional life. I want, I want it to all be one in the same. I want to wake up every day and do the things that I love to do, whether it's donating my time or working hard to, to make money and impact people's lives. And so I realized that in order for me to, to truly do that, I needed to create something. And so then I was like, okay, what's that something? Because Nick, you don't really know anything about anything. So what's that something going to be that you're going to actually create? And I've always been a people person. I've always really, 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 really liked people. And I think I've pretty much always been very nice to people and people therefore are really nice back to you when you're that way. And so I knew I wanted a people business. I'm not smart enough to build a technology business or you know, technical enough to be an engineer. And so... I needed to lean into a people business. And I, and I looked out over, you know, the, the landscape of, of business back in 2006. And I was like, you know, one, you know, one industry in particular company that are having a lot of successes is the coffee industry as a whole and, and Starbucks in particular. You know, at that time, Starbucks was opening five new units a day in the U.S. alone. So every five hours, there was a new Starbucks opening. Wow. We've never seen anything like that. We probably will never see anything like that again in our, in our lifetime. Starbucks, McDonald's, it doesn't matter what the industry is. Like, that's such such unbelievable growth. But 
the non-Starbucks part of the industry was also really, really expanding. And so you know, I liked the fact that this is a large pie that was expanding. And I like the fact that if you have a Starbucks in the industry and you are not good and differentiated, you're going to get your doors blown off. And so my very first sash that I ever opened was right across from one of the busiest Starbucks in Atlanta. And I knew quickly, I'm like, if I'm not, if I'm not cut out for this, if my brand isn't differentiated enough, they're going to put me out of business really, really quickly. It's going to force me to like bring my A game every single day. And so I chose the coffee business because it was quintessentially people centric. If I wanted to build a high end hotel, very few people would get the opportunity to be able to stay at that home, that, that hotel. But our business, we serve homeless people, people with PhDs and everywhere in between out of the exact same space with the same level of dignity and respect. And like, that's what I really, really resonated with, with the coffee business and why I dove in the, the way that I did. I really love that. And actually, um, I've worked, I've had clients that were some of the bigger coffee brand names. Um, and their employee experiences were not so great. So I think that there's also a big impact you're able to make um, just being able to provide a job to people that has that respect, that dignity, that ability to thrive, a purpose that's meaningful um, versus a lot of service industry jobs that are just difficult and not fulfilling. Uh, so I think that that makes a big impact as well. So I did want to ask you a little bit about... Um, so you mentioned that you did it because of the people focus. And obviously, as you're making an impact on people broadly, your employees, your suppliers, et cetera, what do you think that Saxby is contributing like from a societal perspective? Like, Do you see a change with businesses maybe around your own um, that are changing the way that they're working because you're able to attract talent differently? Um, what kind of bigger, broader impact are you hoping to make from an employee thriving perspective? Well, so I think that this is probably the, the best place for me to talk a little bit about our experiential learning platform, um, you know, because we, we created our first ever experiential learning cafe way, way, way back in the olden days of 2015. Um, and we were like slowly focusing on scaling that. But as COVID came, COVID was that like huge, you know, sobering shower for, for all of us. And some of it was just like, you know, what, I just can't wait for the COVID <laughs> clouds to go away and I'm going to get back to doing what I'm doing. We didn't have that luxury at Saxby's, you know, like we, we had two, you know, sectors of our business. We had, we were operating cafes somewhere in on college campuses via our experiential learning platform. And then the others were in dense urban environments, particularly high rises and urban train stations like 30th Street Station in, in Philadelphia, multiple 50 story buildings in downtown Philadelphia. You'd be hard pressed to find a business hit harder than Saxby's from COVID perspective. College campuses and high rise buildings completely emptied out and mostly stayed emptied out for about 18 months. And so we had to figure out as I, you know, I think my team is tired of hearing me say this, but we had to figure out how to survive to start to thrive again. You know, and survival for us was going to be, you know, survival and then the move into Thrive was, was going to be through our experiential learning platform. We are differentiated. We're first movers. There's a tremendous amount of, of space to grow. And just as importantly, it's the most mission aligned to what we do. So our experiential learning platform are partnerships with universities of all shapes and sizes, from community colleges to four years, liberal arts schools, to engineering, to, you know, creative arts schools and everywhere in between where students design and then exclusively run their own on-campus Saxby's. They get full wages, full credit, and have full responsibility for the profit and loss statement of their business 24-7, 365. It is taking the theory of the classroom 
and putting it into the into the real world practice all right there on their campus. All the ups, the downs, the challenges, the glory all happens there. And so we were doing that in the business prior to COVID, but coming out of COVID, we realized that was going to be our future. And so to your question, Patricia, about you know, what's sort of going to be that impact that, that we have with our team members and sort of the, the greater work environment as the years move forward, the reality is, is like, I, I like to call ourselves, we're a talent factory at Saxby's. You know, for many of these young people, we're the first job they ever have. Yeah, you know, the first job that they've ever had before. You know, young people are working later and later in their careers. And so we have such a huge challenge and opportunity to help mold the workforce of the future because we're not going to teach them macroeconomics in the cafe, but we're going to make them better when they learn macroeconomics in the classroom. They come into our classroom, the living, breathing, entrepreneurial proving ground that is our on-campus cafes, and they're going to learn things like emotional intelligence critical thinking, cultural agility, how to be able to take responsibility and make lots of decisions in very, very short order. Some are going to be great decisions. Some are going to be bad. And you're going to have to continue to get better and play that forward over and over and over. And so what we realize is those are the skills that are required in this fastly evolving uh, economy that we're in, agnostic of industry. Whether you want to be a nurse, an engineer, a nonprofit professional, or a sports agent, there's only so much you can learn about those jobs in the classroom. You've got to be able to put it to play in, in, in a live fire setting, which is exactly what our experiential learning platform cafes are. I really think that that probably has impacted so many young people's lives already. I would love for uh, the folks listening out there to hear a success story, if you have one, or an example of the type of success stories that you commonly hear from folks who come through the experiential learning platform? Because as you're talking, it's just making me excited thinking about probably the trajectories of uh, students who come in there and this is their first job and they're gaining experience and learning these real world skills. Um, does anything stand out to you as like a particular success or win either from an individual person or a trend perspective? I mean, there's there's endless. So I'm, I'm glad, uh, hopefully this podcast is eight hours, right? So I can uh, I can give out just hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of stories. No, just kidding. Yes. But I, I, I do, obviously I'm very, very passionate about this and I've had the great pleasure to have interviewed every single person who's ever been a finalist for student CEO. And, every, and obviously I have a personal relationship with every single one of them that's ever been a, a student CEO. And so I have countless stories. And so I'll, I'll give you maybe a couple. So, so one would be um, our first ever um, experiential learning partnership with a historically black college and university in HBCU in, in Maryland. Um, the president has been a longtime friend of mine. Um, I'm on her president's cabinet. It's just a really special uh, university that changes people's lives. So for us to be able to be there and so prominent, we, we you, know, you can't enter or exit that campus without walking to the student center, which is anchored by an experiential learning Saxby's. And so, um, you know, Bowie State University has a approximately a six year graduation rate around 40%. You know, so there's a lot of headwinds on those students uh, trying to matriculate to get their, their education. And so we want to be and are committed to being an aid to that. So We've been operating there for just under three years. 100% of the students who have made it to leadership levels for us, which is not just the student CEO, but all of our team leads. Think of them as almost like assistant managers. 100% of our team leadership, student team leadership at that cafe have graduated within six years. 
So they're more than two times likely to graduate when they come there. And our inaugural student CEO is a young man who was a mentee of mine when he worked in the company and, and uh, hopefully will always be a mentee of mine until I probably become a mentee of his. But um, you know, he was he was on a path to probably not graduate. He was getting close to dropping out of school. He was having a hard time enrolling for classes. He was borrowing a bunch of money. You know, he was starting to sort of lose his way in higher ed and, and along comes Saxby's. And he had the courage to apply to be our first student CEO. He had a magnetic personality, endless intelligence, and so we hired him. And I think something just clicked for him and he started to get us as, and me in particular as an advocate. He did a phenomenal job as a student CEO. He did all kinds of live TV interviews at the grand opening. His mom and his sisters were there. And I've got pictures of like them watching him with like stars in their eyes as being interviewed by like um, Fox and DC. And it's just like amazing, amazing things to, to watch there. And so he graduated college first in his family now has, uh, they wouldn't let him leave campus. So he now works at Bowie State University um, <laughs> with a great job and just an absolutely exhilarating future in front of him. Um, I'll give another example of a student CEO from Drexel University. She was a nursing student. So most people are like, nursing student? Why would you want to go be a student CEO of a cafe? Because it's one thing to understand the technicality of being a nurse. It's another thing to have bedside manner and to be able to work with your colleagues and want to you know, rise up and be able to manage and lead other people. And so Margo was a, um, you know, a student CEO for us at Drexel, came to me and said, hey, Nick, I really, really want this prestigious um, internship at CHOP, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which I'm on the corporate council of. She's like, would you be willing to write me a, um, a job recommendation? I said, of course I will, because she was a phenomenal student CEO. She's a great young lady. And I wrote her the job description and part of a uh, job recommendation. And part of it is like you write this recommendation, but then you have to go through this like really long quiz, essentially, that says, is this candidate X? Is this candidate Y? And so I had to go through there and it says like, have you seen the candidate work in a very diverse work environment? Have you seen them have to make rapid decisions in a fast moving environment? Most people who are filling that out are going to say, no, no, no. And I could go through mm -hmm. there with great confidence and say, yes, 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 yes. So long story short, she not only got that internship, which is incredibly competitive, but she also got that job when she graduated college and is where she works today. And so it's not just benefiting the, um, the students who want to go into business, but even those that are going into healthcare professions and everywhere in between. So again, I, I could tell you stories all, all day on this. Um, but this is what makes our, our job and our, and our sort of mission and purpose here so, so, uh, so, so valuable. I feel like you might need to start a podcast with these stories because they're great. I, have that idea. I know where to turn. I, to be, to, I'll have you guys uh, train me or uh, executive producer. <laughs> I mean, I think it would be great. I would love to hear more and more of these stories. Um, so, I mean, they're great stories. They're really um, interesting how it can change people's trajectory completely. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot as you've been talking around, you know, when you come into your first entry level job, regardless of field, you are kind of doing your specific role, but you don't necessarily know all the other stuff that's happening in the business. And if you're coming out of being a student CEO, you obviously do have that perspective. You understand that like the kinds of budgeting finance, regardless of what type of industry you're in, that has to be happening everywhere. Right. And you don't usually get that perspective until you start moving up the leadership rank. So I think you're giving people a big edge um, because they've seen that they've been a part of that in a way that they wouldn't have I mean, otherwise. Yeah. So I to think that's to that huge. point, you know, um, we have an entire team uh, called our academic platforms team, which is comprised exclusively of people who are PhD educators. So they left 
higher education, many of which had tenure in higher ed to come and join us and build out our, our academic platforms team. And so they do a lot of things for us. They do all of our academic crediting. They work with all of our deans and our provosts and our professors, case studies, white papers. They also run our entire alumni network. You know, so we have um, lots of surveying and mm -hmm. deep, deep knowledge and information on everyone who's come to our platform. And we're tracking that over time because we've, we we want to be additive and solution oriented to the purpose of education. The purpose of education is to move people forward and move their families forward through the benefits of education. And we want to be solution oriented to that. And so one of the things that we've now started to realize is that according to the Harvard Business Review, um, most people who uh, graduate college, they don't see their first real leadership or managerial experience until about seven years out of college. Our former student CEOs hit their first leadership experience about 2.2 years out of college. So they're getting there nearly three times oh, faster wow. by having had this experience because they're having, they're running million dollar businesses managing 50 of their peers before they even graduated college. Like they're getting such an amazing experience <laughs> that's transferable to so many things. Yeah, and they've already got that um, that ability to kind of be more strategic, see things a little bit bigger picture, which it takes a long time to learn if you aren't in that type of um, setting and, and have that experience. So I think that makes a lot of sense that that would speed them along that path. This is great. I love I love these stories. Um, I did want to ask you a little bit around any challenges you faced with kind of bringing your business into this like educational space, really doing a good job of providing opportunities to folks. What, what has kind of gotten in your way? Um, what are the things that, you know, maybe other traditional businesses would have to face if they were trying to move in a similar yeah, path? Yes. So I, I think um, maybe the, the best response to that is that uh, ignorance is bliss, you know? And so my ignorance in particular was really, <laughs> really blessed. When we, when we did our first experiential learning partnership, I was with Drexel University here in Philadelphia, and I just had a, a really raw, but but an idea that I was like really passionate about. And I was able to meet President Fry, who's just a really incredible human being, an incredible leader, incredible higher ed leader. Um, and sometimes it's better to be lucky than good that I was, I found him first, you know? And so I, very raw, you know, idea that I pitched to him about, you know, this idea. And he quickly grabbed onto it and said, I think it'd be an amazing idea. And so he moved so many mountains that I didn't even know existed. You know, like higher education can be bureaucratic. You know, it can be slow moving. A lot of people, they're somewhat slow to make decisions. Like they're not, it's not the most entrepreneurial place typically. And so if I would have known then what I know today, I probably would have been like, uh, this sounds like a good idea, but it's going to be impossible to actually get it off the ground. But thank God I knew so little about how higher ed worked that uh, I just trudged forward. You know, I just trudged forward. And so I think when it comes to mistakes, you know, I think um, I think I probably sidestepped some of the early mistakes because I was just so ignorant to the the way that the process um, and, and sort of the the system of higher ed worked. Um, but I mean, I think that to this day still becomes a challenge because like every university is different. I've heard people refer to them as snowflakes. Like every place is different. They're all, every snowflake is different. Every institution of higher ed is different. So just because one is a big R1, like research one school, doesn't mean it's going to operate just like a, the same you know, sister school in another state. And so that's been challenging. And look, I think it's like always going to be a constant challenge. Like what makes this so great is what makes it so hard. You know, we have hundreds and hundreds of 18 to 22 year olds every single day opening up dozens of cafes at 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, running some of them until 10, 11 o'clock at night, seven days a week, upwards of 52 weeks a year. And they're responsible for everything. Like they don't just get a cool title of student CEO. 
they're actually responsible for the full business. You know, like they are presenting their profit and loss statement every single month for me, my executive team, leaders at their different universities. Like they are responsible for the whole nine. And it is hard. It is oftentimes the hardest thing any of them have ever done because they have so much responsibility and they care so much. They put so much uh, on themselves. And oh, just to make it more challenging, the student CEO changes out every six months. So every six months, the CEO changes. Imagine running any business where you change your CEO every six months. So inherently, this is hard and it's fraught with challenge, but it gives so many people such an amazing experience and they care so much. And we teach so much about servant leadership that we pa- we call it passing the latte every six months when we pass it from one student CEO to the next. We oftentimes get faster and better in the race because we teach our young leaders that the best leaders don't make it about themselves. They develop talent around them. And so you know, when Patricia is a student CEO, she gets to help decide who her, who her successor is going to be. And when she comes to us and says, Tina will be amazing student CEO, we then go to her and say, wow, she's actually been well-prepared. They've got a great vibe and culture on this, on this campus, not this cafe. And we usually get better semester to semester. So yes, we are fraught with challenges. The whole business model is inherently risky and challenging, but that's also what makes it so great and special. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just as important to understand the things that you're doing positively to create thriving and also the barriers that are in your way that other people might encounter if they want to do something similar. Along those lines, and maybe the ignorance is bliss comment comes in here, maybe you don't want to give advice to people, but if there are other folks out there who want to make life better via their businesses, what are some tips that you would have based on your experiences to help them get started? So I think that, you know, if, if we're talking strictly to like entrepreneurs and, and in this instance, defining an entrepreneur as someone who's like creating and trying to run their business, like I, I wouldn't overcomplicate it. Like what, what is it that makes your heart race every day? You know, like what, what is the problem? What is the opportunity? What's the challenge? What's the success that when you think about it and you envision it, it literally makes your heart race. It makes you not want to go to sleep every single night versus being like, well, let me read Fast Company and Inc. magazine and see like what industries are hottest. I'm going to pretend that I really care about those things and try to do it. So know who you are and be unapologetic about what motivates you and maybe what demotivates you. Like, I don't know, there's not that much sexy about being coffee shops, you know, but I was very real with myself that I like, I love people. I love being in a people business. And so I was going to dive in on being in the people business. And the second thing is, is like, it took me a long time to understand that I needed a mission statement and core values. Like, I don't, I don't want to mislead any of the listeners here to think that like, oh man, Nick just had it figured out. He was just going to like be an entrepreneur. And then it was just like success city. It was the opposite. Like I still don't even feel like we're, we're the success that we should be uh, mostly because of me. And so um, I, I think that it took me a long time to understand uh, to write mission core values, but I realized that like I needed to make mission core values. I hired a friend who became a consultant for me to help me do it. And he's like, Nick, rule number one, is if you don't live your mission core values 24 7 365 nobody else will and so i was like okay if that's going to be the case then i'm going to create mission core values that are inspirational aspirational in the way that i sort of see the world and i bet there's other people who see it as well because like nick bayer doesn't own make life better there's 900 of us who wake up every single day we can't make to make life better not just when we're wearing the saxby shirt but when we're walking through the grocery store and holding the door for someone or being nice to our bus driver, picking up trash on the street. And so I would really encourage people to don't be too cute. Don't try to overthink the process. Understand what motivates you or maybe demotivates you 
and lean into those things that you love and the impact that you want to do because your tribe is out there. You just got to be very real and very honest about what it is that you love. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense to start with that, those values and really getting that alignment. And I mean, I think you're right too. Like if you really care about something, there's so many people in this world, you're going to find other people that have that same alignment and are willing to to do the work to get there and, and meet um, the challenges to live in the purpose that you've defined. So I really think that's a great a great place to start. And, you know, a lot of the research does show that having a purpose, feeling like you are tied to um, the mission of an organization helps you feel more happy in your job and more committed to the organization and all those good things that we know are tied to positive employee well-being as well. So I think that's great advice um, to start off with. I know I'd love to talk to you for hours more and to hear all the stories of your student CEOs. Like I'm really, I'm super excited about those stories. So I'm going to say it again, but those are so interesting. Um, but we are kind of coming up on time. So I just wanted to see if there's anything else you wanted to tell us about yourself, about your work, um, anything that we've missed today. No, I mean, I think it's been a fascinating conversation. I, I do really appreciate your, uh, your interest in what we're doing. Um, I think that we have such a special opportunity here, you know, is that we, we are a certified B Corp. We're one of less than 1,200 certified B Corps in the U.S. Because as we talked about at the outside of this, it's very easy to talk about how impactful your business is. It's much harder to get a third party to audit it and validate how impactful your business is. And, that, and that's what B Corp is. And, 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 mm-hmm. and sort of part and parcel to that is then having to change your articles of incorporation to state that you're going to be a... Uh, a stakeholder focused business and not just a shareholder business because what what makes that challenging is that like you know it, when you're when you're a small business it's maybe just you or a couple other people who are employed in the business you've probably not raised a lot of money um, so you don't have a lot of outside voices we're very different as actions we've raised a lot of money you know and so I have a board I have investors who have been doing this some of some of them have been doing this almost longer than I've been on earth and so for us to be in a position where we have been able to certify as a B Corp, be such a, uh, a stakeholder focused business and to have our very sophisticated, very successful investors along for the ride is really special. And as I like to say, and I know that this is probably a bit wishful thinking, but I feel like we get to be a bit of a pioneer and hopefully a proof point that you can build large successful businesses where you make the world a better place and make money for your investors, that they don't have to be um, mutually exclusive from one another. So we're, we're very, very focused on that. And I hope those that are, are listening to this podcast feel motivated in the same direction, you know, because I think that's the future of capitalism. That's what the world mm-hmm. needs out of its business and its business leaders. Well, I am positive that people will feel motivated. I feel very motivated uh, hearing <laughs> what you've been able to build and the successes that you've had, um, even in the face of challenges of doing something that's a little different than most businesses do, but has really made a big impact for uh, your stakeholders. Um, And so I think that that's awesome, amazing. Uh, And to wrap things up here, we have our final fun question. And because uh, of who you are and who Saxby's is, uh, we thought we'd ask a question about your go-to coffee shop order. So you walk into a coffee shop, what is the most likely thing to come out of your mouth 
about what you want to order at the coffee. Wow, so I, I realize uh, even before saying this, how basic I am for saying it, but it's, but it's, it's no, it's no doubt cold <laughs> brew. Um, I just think that cold brew is the absolute perfect way to prepare coffee. Um, ours is a very unique blend of three mm. different, uh, South and Central American coffees. It's like roasted really, really well. We steep ours for 20 hours. So it takes out all bitterness. It's wow. super smooth. We call it crushable. And it finishes like with a little sweetness. Like you don't have to put anything in it. And it's never like, you know, with hot coffee, it's like too hot to drink. And then there's the middle sweet spot where it's pretty good. And then it gets cold and then it's usually not very good anymore. Like cold brew is just good. Whether you sit it on your table, you add a little more ice to it. So cold brew for sure. But like within Saxby's, I think people know, I think our training team still teaches people uh, this. But like I particularly love and I make for myself all the time the cure, which is uh, two shots of espresso over a cup full of ice and then fill it with uh, coconut water. And so it sounds really, really unique, but like the bitterness of espresso uh, combined with sort of like the sweetness of coconut water. And then like the ice has a way of like pulling it together really, really well. But I, I will caution people, if you don't like coconut water, do not try that drink. Uh, but if you like water <laughs> and you like caffeine, we call it the cure because it's like, it's both caffeinating and hydrating all at the same time. So that's that's my like super, super special drink, but I only get those at Saxby's. Amazing. We usually go around the, the horn here and see what ours are to close things out. So Patricia, I know you're a tea drinker. I'm wondering what your uh, order would be. I am a tea drinker, but I have to say that coconut water cure sounds like a good idea after a, a long night yeah, of drinking. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I am a tea drinker. I tend to go for like matcha lattes with oat milk. That's my go-to. Um, but I did see on one of your menus, I was just kind of like perusing your site that you have a pumpkin matcha. I don't think I've ever had that. And I also love pumpkin drinks, but I don't drink a lot of coffee and I want that so bad in my you life right it. now. Yeah, the, I was going to say like, with <laughs> so, you being a tea drinker, like matcha is by far our fastest growing segment, particularly in the non, the, the non-coffee sector. And just like matcha, mm -hmm. believe it or not, takes flavor so well. And so like our pumpkin matcha is something that seems like out of left field, but it's just a, a really, really great seller for us. It's very, very popular um, throughout our cafe. So if you can get to us, actually, to get it, uh, I can't wait to hear what you think of it. Yeah, sounds amazing. Yeah, I would say usually I go with a cappuccino with oat milk. Um, I, I am a hot coffee drinker. But I have had um, Saxby's iced tea, and I really like your flavored iced teas. And so, like, start off the day with coffee, but in the middle of the day, I'll go for an iced tea, cold, refreshing, nice. So I think I have two go-to uh, um, orders here. Um, well, <laughs> hopefully everybody's inspired to go uh, get something from coffee shops, hopefully Saxby's. And uh, – we have been so lucky to have you here, Nick. This has been awesome. We have learned a lot. I know everybody else has too. Thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Katina and Patricia. Thank you so much for listening to our interview with Nick. It was so much fun having you on the show and talking about Saxby's Coffee. If you want to learn more about Saxby's Coffee, go to saxbyscoffee.com. We'll have the link in our show notes along with links to learn more about Nick. And again, as always, if you want to find us, you can find us on our website, workerbeing.com. You can email us at contact at workerbeing.com or find us on social. And you can also check out our community at workerbeing.com slash community. Thanks for listening. 
Thriving at Work is hosted by us, Dr. Patricia Grabarek and Dr. Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Thank you.